good to see things a little fuller again this Sunday. Some of us back to the land of the living and others not quite there yet, but definitely still sickness going around. You know, the, the, uh, the Bible which God is, has blessed us with, when we think about what the Bible is, um, it's first and foremost God's revelation of himself to us. In its pages, through its word, we are shown the character of God, the nature of God. We, we read his promises that were made to his people long ago. We read promises that are made to us today as well. Uh, we read about God's past work in the world, what will yet be accomplished in the days ahead, what will be accomplished at the second coming of Jesus. So, so when we think about the Bible, right, but before it is an instruction book or a song book or a history book or anything like that, it's an autobiography that God has written about himself, given to us. So the Bible is a book about God, but it, but it does pull back the curtain a bit into the lives of, of people, right? So, so we don't just learn things about God as we read the Bible. We do that for sure, but, but we also we learn things about individuals. And, and because things aren't glossed over in the Bible, we, we see people at their best. We also see people at their worst. We see, we see some wonderful displays of trust in God in the pages of Scripture. We also see some, some heartbreaking displays of rejection of God in the Scripture. And, and many times we see those displays in the same person, rejection and trust coming from the same person. So take the Apostle John, for example, the author of the letter that we've been studying these, these last weeks. John is one such person where we are able to see how he was transformed through the work of God in his life. So, for example, toward, toward the end of Jesus' ministry, he was preparing to go to Jerusalem for the final time. It would lead to his eventual crucifixion on the Roman cross. And in fact, he had just recently told his disciples that this was going to happen. And so Jesus and his disciples are in Galilee in the north, and so if they're going to get to Jerusalem in the south, they've got a decision to make, and it's the same decision that all Galilean Jews had to make when traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. The decision was, do we go straight there? Do we go straight south and go through the Samaritan region? Or do we cross over the Jordan River in Galilee, go south through the Gentile Decapolis, and then cross back over the Jordan River and make our way up into Jerusalem. Now, I, you know, you might ask, why, 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 even, why even consider the longer route? Like, why wouldn't you just take the shorter route? Well, as you probably know, Samaritans and Jews were often hostile toward one another. And it was well known that Samaritans often refused to extend shelter to Jews who were traveling through on the way to Jerusalem. It wasn't just the Motel 6 that you could go get a room, right? Like, 
Samaritans often refused shelter to Jews. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that if for some reason Samaritans were having to travel north through Galilee, that the Jews would have done the same to the, to the Samaritans. They would have refused to shelter them as well. So, so this one particular time, as Jesus and his disciples getting ready to go down to Jerusalem, Jesus says, we're going to go through Samaria. So he sends some of the group on ahead to, to secure a place to stay for the night as they pass through. And as might be expected, those messengers were rejected. And so in response, you have John and, and his brother James with him. They approach Jesus with what they think is just a fabulous idea. Okay? And, and, and this is maybe expanding on their words a little bit, but I think it's pretty true to, to their thought process in the whole thing. So John and James, I can just picture them coming to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, it, Remember, remember how we were just up on the mountain and, 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 and you were transfigured before us? Jesus, remember, remember, remember when you walked on water and, and you cast out evil spirits and you raised the dead, Jesus? Well, we were thinking, let's call down fire from heaven and burn up these people for their refusal to show us any kind of mercy. What do you think, Jesus? How about that? <laughs> awkward, <laughs> right? Like, and, and it's at that point in Luke's gospel that, that or, uh, yeah, in Luke's gospel that, that we're told that Jesus rebuked them for such a suggestion, right? So, so you got John and James, like their emotions got the better of them in that moment. I mean, they, they were rejected by the Samaritans and they wanted to make them pay. Jesus, on the other hand, clearly viewed the Samaritans in different light, than John and James did. Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He didn't see them as enemies to be destroyed. And so in essence, Jesus loved the Samaritans. I think it's safe to say that for John in that moment, he was not operating out of a place of love. (laughs) Not one bit. He did not seek to extend love to the Samaritans who he'd probably been told his whole life were his enemies. He didn't seek to love them. So that's John in the time of Jesus, right? 30 AD, roughly. Fast forward 50 or 60 years to when John wrote the letter of 1 John. And, And it seems that there has been a wonderfully transformative work done in John's life. I mean, the, the same man who decades before wanted to smite an entire group of people with fire from heaven now reminds the churches over and over again of the central place that love is to have in their lives. I mean, what a transformation, right? And we talked last week about John's statement that God is love. Everything that God does is uh, is loving in nature. And there's so many places where we can see God's love just poured out upon us. And we, and we talked last week that the primary display of his love toward us is, is through the death of Jesus on the cross. There's absolutely no greater, no clearer way in which God could have shown his love to us. So what we're going to talk about today then is is the way in which that love ought to transform our interactions and our relationships with one another, the ways that it ought to transform us. And this is, this is the very reason that, that what 
has come to be known as the new commandment is, is proclaimed so many times in John's letter. So in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, we've already talked about these a few weeks ago. John talks about this commandment. He says it's both new and it's old. He says that, that loving, loving one's brother is what people in the light do. It's just what you do. Chapter 3, verse 11, John reminds the churches, this is the message that you've heard from the very beginning, from all the way back, that, that you should love one another. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, John again talks about the commandment we've received from God, to love one's brother. And again, the, the, this is the very message that Jesus spoke to the disciples in the upper room in John 13. He said, you are to love one another. And the message goes back farther than that even. As Pastor Tim read for us, right, when, when Jesus was, was asked to, to summarize, to highlight, well, what, what's what, or he's asked to highlight what's the greatest law in the Torah, and Jesus summarized it. He said, well, it's, it's love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. So, so I, I would say a person can't, read, can't rightly read John's letter or the New Testament or the entire Bible, for that matter, and come to any other conclusion than God's people are to be marked by love, to be marked by his love. That, that's to be the defining characteristic that sets us apart as disciples of Jesus. So the question then is, what does that love look like? What does it look like? What does it truly look like to love one another? And there's lots of ideas out there, right, about what love is. But, but what does God mean when he says love one another? So for that, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> We're going to read through, let's see, we're going to read verses 16 through 18. It's page 1022, if you'd like to follow in the Pew Bibles. Here we get a, such a good picture of, of what this love is. So 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he, talking about Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. <clears throat> so for, for the followers of Jesus, our example of, our definition of love, it must be Jesus himself. John says, this is how, by this we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. I mean, we, we, we must look at the Son of God sacrificing his life on the cross and say, that's what love looks like. That, that's love. And, and the word sacrifice is, is vital. Love involves self-sacrifice. I think, I think we can even state that the the greater the act of sacrifice, the greater the act of love that such a sacrifice is. Right? If, if, I, if I think I can disconnect showing love from being sacrificial, not really understanding the true display of love shown in Jesus. 
That's why when we think about like Christmas gifts, right, I think we would all say that we feel more love being shown when a family member or a friend sacrifices time, energy, money to give us a thoughtful gift. We, we feel more love there than we do when we get a, a white elephant gift that was just haphazardly picked out from the house and thrown into a gift bag and, and brought to the party, right? Like, I mean, there's no sacrifice involved in walking around the house, finding something that's old we don't really need anymore and just putting it in a bag to give away. There's not sacrifice there. I mean, I, I remember back when I was a junior high boy, I wrapped up a chewed piece of gum once and took it to a youth group white elephant. <laughs> junior high boys, right? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, how, how loving was that? I mean, come on. There's no sacrifice whatsoever in that gift. The call of God upon the lives of Christians is to love one another through self-sacrifice. That's the call. Jesus laid down his life for us. And that's the perfect display of ultimate love. But I think as we examine the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we might, I think we rightly can ask the question, so, so does laying down one's life mean that, that I have to cease living, right? Like, do, do I have to physically die in order to lay down my life as I love others. Like, is that what John means here? I think there's something, something interesting that I noticed as I was thinking about that question. So, so in, the, in the text here, verse 16, the, uh, the, the phrase lay down, the Greek word used there is tathemi. And it's a really common word in the Greek. It means putting, it means laying. Um, it's the word used, like in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about uh, putting a lamp under a basket, like, like that's, that's the word, tithemi. Um, it's the word used for laying the sick on a mat or laying a, a body in the tomb. It's a real common word. But there's something unique about, about the scene that takes place in the upper room in John 13 and this word, tithemi. At the beginning of John 13, Jesus is he's, he's beginning to observe the Passover meal with his disciples they're in the upper room, and, and we're told in verse 4 that, that uh, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside, he tithemi, his outer garments. In that moment, Jesus laying down his life, right, in the upper room there, it, it was not physically dying on the cross. Now, that was going to happen in just a matter of hours. That was coming. But in that moment... Jesus laying down his life showed itself as he sacrificed his dignity and, and honor to take the position of a servant. So in, in laying aside his outer garment, Jesus, in essence, laid aside his position. He sacrificed himself for his disciples in that way. And Peter famously had a problem with Jesus doing this, didn't he? I mean, and, and it's noteworthy that just, just moments later, when, when Jesus said that he was going to go, uh, where he was going, the disciples could not follow. Peter's, Peter's like, Jesus, I, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I'll, I'll tithemi my very life for you. 
And of course, we, we know how the story goes on. Not only did Peter not lay down his life that evening, he, he wouldn't even lay down his honor by saying that he knew Jesus. Right? And so, so I, when, we, when we talk about laying down one's life in love, sure, it includes physically dying, but it's not limited to that. I'm called to a daily sacrificing of myself for others. That's laying down our lives. And, and really, this is where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of world of the world are most likely to come into conflict or, or to see a distinction between them, especially. In the kingdom of the world, greatness is defined by being first, isn't it? It's by having our own needs met, accomplishing our own goals, doing what we want to do, generally having things our way. That, that's, that's greatness in the world, kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's those who lose their life who find it. It's the last who are first. It's those who give of themselves to others who are blessed. Those who serve rather than be served who are the ones walking with Jesus. I think it's I think it's um, it's interesting. I think it's convicting when we look at the transition that takes place from verse sixteen to seventeen. So in verse sixteen, the statement that John makes is <clears throat> he says, "Lay down our lives for the brothers." All right, it's a very general statement. It's a very overarching statement. It makes a good good slogan, good purpose statement. We should lay down our lives for the brothers. And then in verse seventeen, it's like, okay, well, let's get personal now. Right? Instead of the brothers, John says, if anyone sees his brother in need and closes his heart to him, he's not displaying the love of God. So instead of this general love your brothers, John says, if you see your brother in need and you close your heart, you are not showing the love of God. So it's one thing for me to say from the pulpit, yeah, we're called to love one another. And it's one thing for everyone to nod their head and smile. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. But it's a whole other thing to live that out in the daily situations of life, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the question I think we're supposed to ask is, who's my brother? Who's your brother? Kind of like the question that was asked to Jesus. Well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Love your neighbors yourself. Who's my neighbor? I think we can... Ask that to John. Who, who's my brother? What does it look like for me to lay down my life for my brother, for my sister? That, that can be convicting, right? That can be scary, too. There, there aren't, there's hesitations, I think, that arise with that. There's hesitations that I feel, anyway. If I lay my life down, couldn't I potentially be taken advantage of? I couldn't... Couldn't I maybe fall behind my peers, my coworkers? Couldn't I get hurt? Couldn't I alienate someone in my life who would disagree with living in that way? Couldn't I be misunderstood if I do that? And I think the answers to those questions are yes, 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 yes. Like, yeah, yeah, all those things could potentially happen. That's part of the high calling to love sacrificially. In the midst of all those possibilities that we still lay down our lives. So I was thinking about that this week. <clears throat> I was taken back to 
Um, summer of 1999. So uh, that summer I was going into my freshman year in high school. And uh, our youth group took a, a mission trip to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Um, one of the things we did that week while we were there was we put on a, a VBS program for all the kids. And uh, during that week, I, I was blessed to witness a display of love that I have not forgotten 25 years later. I still remember this quite clearly. So a common occurrence that week was the giving of piggyback rides to the kids. I mean, they just loved it. Every, every kid would come up and ask for a piggyback ride. We all lost count of how many piggyback rides we gave throughout that week. Well, toward the end of the week, there was a little girl, two or three years old, um, came up to my youth pastor and asked for a piggyback ride. Nothing out of the ordinary there. That's, that's par for the course. But what made this situation different was that this little girl had just peed her pants. And she wanted my youth pastor to give her a piggyback ride back home, back to her house. And not just walk with her. I mean, she wanted to be carried, wanted a piggyback ride. And I, I don't think I will ever forget watching my youth pastor pick up this little girl and put her on his shoulders and give her a piggyback ride back to her house. I mean, <laughs> now there was a lot of good jokes that came out of that, I'll be honest. But in, in that moment, I mean, he laid down his life. And that looked like laying down his dignity, looked like laying down his comfort, maybe laying down his health, right? Also he could show that little girl the love of Jesus. Loving his brother, loving his sister in that moment, that's what it looked like for him. Man, it's, it's one thing to gather in this room today and talk about loving one another, and we should talk about it. But as John writes in verse 18, he says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What is that situation where you have the opportunity to love someone sacrificially? That situation where we have the opportunity to lay down our lives for somebody else. And, and I do use that word opportunity on purpose because it's an opportunity, right? It, it, it's it, it's an opportunity to, following the example of Jesus, show the love of God to love someone else as Jesus loves us, laying down our lives for them. So I don't, know, I don't know who that person is for you. I don't know who the situation is for you. It might be something you can think of right off the bat. It might be something that's just going to show itself tomorrow at work or at school or something like that. Are we willing to lay down our lives That's a high calling when you think about it. That's a very high calling to love as Jesus loved. And it maybe leads us to ask the question, is that even possible? Is it even possible to do that, to do it like Jesus did? I mean, maybe you find yourself in the same, same place that I do when I'm reflecting on a situation that just unfolded and, and I'm asking myself, why couldn't I have just shown love there instead of 
reacting how I did? Like, is it even possible to live out this high calling? And for that, I want to I look at a few verses in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and speak to our ability to love as Jesus does. So if you look with me, 1 John 4, I'll read verse 7 and then uh, skip down to 11 and 12. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. There's the command again. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. I mean, just twice in that paragraph, verse 7, verse 11, John, John calls the, the believers, the churches, he says, beloved. Again, he's not referencing his love for them. He's referencing God's love poured out for the believers. He said, you are beloved. You are loved by God. And there's some incredible reminders of the reality of who we are in Christ in those verses. Through Jesus, we're we're reminded that we are born of God. We know God. God abides in us, verse 12. His love is perfected in us. Uh, if we are left to our own strength and our own capacities, then no. We will never love as Jesus does. Maybe there will be some flashes of it here and there, but, but there will always be a limit to it. There will always be be a very, very quick limit. In Jesus, however, I mean, when we are beloved, we're a new creation. We are filled with God's love. Paul says in Romans 5.5 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I love the imagery there, not, not just sprinkled or spritzed a little bit, poured. His love is poured into our hearts, filled up. In Jesus, I'm filled and I'm, I'm made able to lovingly lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. John says, I mean, we're, we're, we're born of God. I mean, think about what it means to be born of God, to be a child of God. Who do children most act like, for better or worse? <laughs> Parents, right? I mean, we know this. We know this. Some of that has to do with nurture, just being raised in a home with their parents. But some of that has to do with nature also. It's fascinating to me when I hear, hear a story about, about a child and a parent who were separated at the child's birth and then they're, they're reunited decades later for the first time. And it seems like without fail, that, that parent and child always talk about how they have similar mannerisms, right? Characteristics, things like that. Like, they, they, they can't be nurture because they've been separate for so many years, but yet the child still acts like the parent just because they are the child. When we're born of someone, we naturally act like them. We, 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 we live like them. It's just how it works. Through Jesus, John reminds us, we are born born of God. We do possess the ability to love as Jesus loves. We're his children. Now, I, I don't, 
I don't want to turn this into a self-help seminar, right? You're good, I'm good, we've all got what it takes, let's just go do it. I, it's not that, but we do need to understand the reality that in Jesus, we are a child of God. We are born of God. John writes in his gospel, right, to, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're born not of blood, not of will, not of, uh, not of the will of the flesh, the will of man, but, but born of God. That's who we are in Christ. So those who are born of God, are, are, they're just filled with God's love. It has been poured into us. John reminds us that, that we also know God. We know him deeply in Christ that is that love with which we are filled overflows from us. I think we grow in our knowledge of God. We grow in our intimacy with him. One of the best ways to know God is to walk as he walked, to love as he loved. That love leads to that deeper knowledge. And, and if, we're, if we're ever tempted to think that we, are, that we are left to live out this high calling on our own, Right, that, that God is kind of removed with this checkboard and keeping track of when we, when we succeed, when we fail, making notes. If we're ever tempted to think that way, we have to remember that God himself abides in us. He is in us. It's, it's not just us seeking to live out God's love. It's God living out his love through us. In fact, John... <laughs> This is incredible. He takes it a step farther in verse 12. Not just that God abides in us. He says that God's love is made perfect in us. It's made complete. It's brought to completion in us. The goal that God, uh, that the world would know the love of God is being accomplished through us. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, at the beginning of verse 12, it's almost like John puts a phrase in there that's off subject. No one has ever seen God, right? He's talking about love. If God loves us, then we ought to love one another. You know, if we love one another, God, then in the middle there, well, no one's ever seen God. Like, John, what, what are you, where, <laughs> what, what, why is that phrase in there? What are you doing? When he makes that statement, I, he's, he's linking back to the Old Testament where where a handful of people were given glimpses of God's glory, uh, but, but no, one was, uh, no one was able to fully see God or else they would die. And then Jesus, as the Son of God made flesh, Jesus comes on the scene and, 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 and as mankind we're able to see God in a way that we, we, we couldn't before. It's really qu- quite, quite incredible when you think about it. But even at that, right, like the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration clues us in that God's glory was still shielded in, in some way in Jesus, right? Like, like they saw, the disciples saw Jesus and walked with him and heard him teach and saw what he did. But, but up on that mount, there was still something different, right? He was transfigured. His glory shone in a way that it didn't every other moment of his life on earth. But, so then Jesus, right, he, after his crucifixion and his resurrection, then he ascends back into heaven, and, and all of a sudden, he's not even walking the earth anymore that mankind might physically look upon God. So, so does that mean that, that 
we are left with no way to see God anymore. It, you know, is, is, are we back to where we were before? I don't think it means that at all. God continues to reveal himself. He continues to show himself. Uh, as I started this morning, the Bible is one of those ways. God reveals himself through his words to us. God has chosen another way to reveal himself to us. While no one sees God, they do see God's love. And as John writes, as it is perfected, completed, carried to completion within us. Right? It is as you and I lay down our lives, loving as Jesus does, that God is seen. Now that's an incredible thought to think about. Every day is an opportunity, not, not just to love sacrificially. Every day is an opportunity to make God known and seen through our love, through his love flowing through us. In, uh, uh, in Jeremiah 31, God, God speaks. It's the only time in the Old Testament that God talks about the new covenant that would be coming. And it, he, he, he describes it as a new covenant when, when his people would all know him, would all know him. And, and the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is going to be on, on the new earth, when all know God and see him. God has promised to bring that about, and he is bringing that about. And he's doing that even here and now through his love flowing through us. He's revealing himself to the world as his people love one another, just like Jesus. So, back to the question, is it possible to love one another as Jesus did? We think about the incredible high calling of it and all that is taking place through it. Is it even possible? Yes, it is, because God is God is a God who fulfills his promises. And when he says that he is making himself known in the world, he's going to do it. He is doing it. And he's doing it through his love, showing through his people. We're his children. He abides in us. He's accomplishing his purposes through us. And because of that, we are not just called to, but we can love one another in the steps of Jesus, laying down our lives for one another. So if we go back to thinking about John, right? I mean, the love of Jesus transformed John's life. And he went from a person who's ready to call down fire from heaven to annihilate his enemy into a person who understood that God is seen through him as he loves others. Wow, what a a transformation in that one individual's life. What a transformation in John's life. The same God who was at work in John's life is working today, working in my life, working in your life as well. It's the same God doing the same transformative work. Maybe some of the details are a little different. Maybe we're not walking around trying to smite Samaritans, but it's still that transformation. We're born again as children of God who are called and empowered to love one another. The work of Jesus is taking place within us. 
And I, I, I believe that the extent to which we will see God in our lives and in our church is directly proportional to the extent which we love one another. The more we love one another, the more we will see God on display. The less we love one another, the less we will see God on display. It's the way that he has chosen to be seen in the world. So that's the calling. The calling is to lay down our lives for others so that God can be seen clearly in our midst. Great responsibility, for sure. Very high calling. But what a wonderful blessing as well. When I think through my day, when I think through my week, and, and look at situations, when I see those as opportunities to display God to that person, to that to that family, to my office, whatever. Man, what an opportunity that is. What a blessing that is to even be able to take part in that, to be able to put God on display as he transforms us. I think that's such a wonderful thing. John reminds us that's, again, he says, chapter 3, verse 11, that's the message that goes from the very beginning, that we should love one another. Stand with me. Let's come before God. Let's humbly approach him asking that he would, he is doing that work within us, that he would continue doing that work within us and that we would be humble and submissive to it. So let's pray. Father, we we come to you as the beloved. We come to you as people who are loved by you and filled with your love. Your love has been poured into our hearts. And I'm so thankful for that, God. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the transformation that that brings about in my life, the lives of of many, many others. God, I pray that, that we would rightly recognize this high calling that that we have as your children. We are to love one another, to lay down our lives as you did for us. God, we know that's a high calling. We can feel it. Would you give us what we need? God, you do give us what you need. You do fill us. You do empower us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be submissive. Give us the vision that we need to see people, to see situations as you do. God, my prayer is, is that, uh, as you stated in the upper room, that, that I would be known as your disciple by how I love. I wouldn't be known as your disciple because I, because I attend church, because I have knowledge of certain things, but that I would be known as your disciple because of how I love. God, may that be true for all of us. Continue to transform us, God. Reveal to us more and more each and every day your love for us. God, the, the depth of the ocean of your love we will never fully explore. But would you give us more every day? 
God, we come to you, we gather here this morning as individuals who are beloved, but we gather together as the bride who is beloved by you. And so God, as your bride, may we receive that love and live out that love in all that we do. Help us in that as a church body. God, guide us, direct us. May we be known, may we be known first and foremost in our community and and as far as you seek to take it by our love. We praise you this morning, God. We're grateful. We thank you that you love us. We love you as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.